Well, at this time, let's turn in our copies of God's Word to Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Let's give careful attention now to the reading of God's holy word, beginning in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. May the Lord bless His Word to us this morning. Amen. We're relying upon God for His help and guidance this morning. Let's turn back to Romans chapter 5, passage that we just read. And let's focus our attention upon verses 3 and 4. The Apostle here has just finished telling us that Because we've been justified through faith in Christ, we have peace with God. Through Christ, we also have access by faith into God's favorable and gracious disposition towards us, into this grace in which we stand. And he's told us that because of this, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But now he builds on this as it were, building upon a foundation. He says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, or endurance, we could say. And perseverance, that is endurance, character. I think a better word here would be experience, as you see in the authorized version. Experience and experience produces hope. 
So he's saying not only that, we don't just rejoice in the hope of the glory to come, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces endurance, and endurance produces experience, and experience produces hope. And he goes on in verse 5 to say that this hope does not disappoint us. So as we're going through the difficulties of this life and we're experiencing tribulations and afflictions and the Lord's enabling us to endure these tribulations and afflictions and through that process we gain experience, right? We, we have a, uh, an affliction come our way and, and we say it's, it's not my first rodeo, I've been through this and we endure it again and we, we build this experience of God's grace giving us triumph over affliction, perseverance and endurance through it. And all of that serves to deepen our hope and, and that hope that God will deliver us the next time and the next time and the next time and He'll give us endurance through every trial that is yet to come. That hope does not disappoint us. God continues to be faithful. He continues to fulfill, as it were, His end of the bargain of the covenant of grace. Let's consider this passage and the many ways in which it instructs us and encourages us. This passage that I think in some sense, uh, I could say for myself, and perhaps more broadly speaking, uh, this has as much to say to us in our own day as any text of Scripture. Perhaps even more in a day when there is a supreme lack of endurance and perseverance and faithfulness to promises and continuing and, and, and engaging in the things God's called us to do and not running away and, and not abandoning ship and abandoning marriage vows, membership vows, uh, ministerial and uh, church officer vows. In a day when there is so much lack of perseverance. This is a passage that instructs us. I think it especially, though it instructs men and women and children, it especially instructs men because we see such an epidemic in our day of this problem among men. We need men with endurance. We need men with experience. And we need men that can lead the church, the state, and the family with that hope that does not disappoint. And so this is a crucial passage this morning with God's help. We're simply going to consider the first leg of this series of statements. He says not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, or as I said, endurance. Tribulation produces endurance. Now it's important here that Paul makes a distinction between our hope of heaven to come and the hope that we exercise in daily life concerning the circumstances of life and their outcome in God's providence. It's one thing to say, well, one day I'll be in heaven forever. And of course, as we're going to see, that hope of heaven is what enables us, as Paul says elsewhere, to, to deal with our afflictions and to view them as momentary light afflictions. 
in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. So it's not as though the hope of heaven has no relevance with respect to our endurance of tribulations, but the fact of the matter is that these are distinct. My expectation of going to heaven is distinct from my expectation of what's going to happen next Thursday when I encounter that big issue that uh, with all the uncertainty, what's going to happen, how's it going to affect my life, my family, in time and history, in God's providence. These are distinct aspects of Christian hope and distinct aspects of the Christian life. And Paul says we not only glory in what's coming at the very end, the glory of heaven to come, but he says we glory in tribulations. This word tribulation could also be explained in this way. Affliction. Adversity. The word brings, brings to mind the idea of pressure or stress. This is the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 when he says we are hard-pressed on every side. That's tribulation, pressure, stress, hardship, conflict. These are the things that none of us appreciates or enjoys or glories in in and of themselves. But what the Apostle Paul is telling us here is that we can glory in these things. We can appreciate the value of these things because of what we know about them. The Apostle Paul is not telling us to become Stoics. He's not telling us to just sit around in our, uh, in our situation of affliction and adversity and pressure and stress and hardship and conflict and to just have a sort of blind faith, a, a blind hope. Well, it's all going to work out. You know, keep calm and carry on. That's not what this text is saying. This text is reminding us that Christianity is a religion of the mind. It is truth that sets us free. It's truth that sets us free from sin. The truth of Christ who is the truth. It's truth that sets us free and liberates us from anxiety and fear. It's the truth about our tribulations and our afflictions that sanctifies us and enables us to take every thought captive and to view the circumstances that surround us, that are hard-pressing us on every side, to view them in a way that is more accurate than we're naturally inclined to view them. He, he says we glory in tribulations knowing. Knowing. Again, Christianity is a religion of the mind. It's not merely your will toughing it out, but you need to know something about your afflictions. Your afflictions, your tribulations are valuable. They're beneficial. They produce something. As the King James says, they work something. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 tells us that our momentary light afflictions work for us or produce for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And that's an important thing to remember. But that's not the aspect that Paul deals with here in our text. And in fact, you can tell that something there, there's been something that has run across Paul's mind in 2 Corinthians 4 to the point where he would even begin that statement by speaking of our momentary light afflictions. 
Why does he see these things as momentary and light? Well, it's the eternal weight of glory. But also it's this. That these afflictions and tribulations have benefit in this life. They produce that which is valuable and especially three vitally important things apart from which we're never going to get to heaven and we're never going to get to the eternal weight of glory. He says they produce, it, these afflictions produce three things. Three vitally important things. Endurance, translated here perseverance. Could be translated patience. We'll get into that. But endurance, experience, and hope. Endurance, experience, and hope. And as I said, I'm not sure there are any graces or entities in the Christian life that are more relevant and more needed for us in our day than these. Endurance, experience, and hope. And especially this morning we consider endurance. First, its essential character or nature. What is endurance? Uh, You can see in the New King James it's translated perseverance. Elsewhere it's translated patience. This word means steadfastness, constancy. When it's connected with tribulations, we can see that it brings to mind the idea of persistence under pressure. Resiliency under duress. When, when the room is caving in on you, what do you do? How do you respond? We could understand this endurance as a refusal to quit. As a stick to Again, any of these words and phrases are helpful. Patience, perseverance, steadfastness, constancy, persistence under pressure, resiliency under duress, refusal to quit, stick to This is the nature of this endurance that we're speaking of here. And you can see some examples of this. The Apostle Paul makes reference to this endurance frequently in his letters. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience, that's our word, your endurance, and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So you can see here, it, it has to do with enduring persecutions and tribulations. As I said, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, precious words of endurance and perseverance. Paul says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So you can see he's hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. But he's still hopeful, and he still views it positively, and he's boasting in the Lord's grace to preserve him. He's not crushed. He's not in despair. He's not freaking out. He's not forsaken. Uh, He's not destroyed. He has endurance. And because of his endurance, he's gained experience and he maintains his hope. But the point here is this idea of endurance. Now this reminds me of a situation that happened to me at uh, Cub McCoy in 2006. Uh, There was a basketball game. And uh, at that time I was a lot younger and uh, thought that 
it would be a good idea for me to enter this basketball game. And I wasn't in great shape. And, um, well, more could be said about that. But I was asked to guard uh, the point guard on the other team that happened to be uh, this uh, a Korean man who was lightning quick and could uh, score at will and had a lot of assists. And I, I tried to guard him. Of course, it was Elder Kim. We didn't know each other at the time. But um, I had to guard him. And I remember when, when the buzzer sounded, I walked off the court and, with my wife and we walked out of the building and I said, I can't believe that I, that I even got through that and finished the game. At which point, and, and I didn't make this, this is actually what happened. At this point, she said, honey, that's just the first half. <laughs> and um, I successfully avoided uh, serious health problems, but I did go home, I, back to the room. I didn't, I didn't finish the second half. I could not endure to the end. I didn't have the endurance. Why? Because I hadn't uh, put myself through the rigor of that affliction and tribulation that is uh, aerobic uh, respiration. I did not, I, I wasn't in good shape. I hadn't been running. You know this if you're a runner. In order to gain that long distance endurance, you need to be running. And often it's an affliction. It's difficult. It's rough on your body and you're huffing and puffing and you're struggling, but you do it every morning. You gain that endurance. You increase that endurance. And then at Cove McCoy, you can finish the game. Uh, but the point is, this is necessary spiritually as well. And as we're going to see, this endurance spiritually is absolutely necessary for everything God calls us to do in the Christian life. Uh, and so secondly, we consider it's unavoidable necessity. The unavoidable necessity of this endurance. In fact, uh, Paul in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36 says it as well as it could be said. He says, for you have need of endurance. For you have need of endurance. That's God speaking to each person here. You have need of endurance. And it's necessary, he goes on to say, Verse 39, for we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So he's saying, even to be saved, it involves endurance. You have need of endurance. Jesus says in Matthew 24 that when wickedness abounds, the love of many will grow cold. In other words, they won't persevere in their love but he who endures to the end shall be saved. That's our word. He who endures. He who perseveres. He who is steadfast and, and persistent and by the grace of God continues and doesn't drop out of the race. He who endures to the end will be saved. This is necessary for salvation. In other words, the, the, the faith and repentance that the Holy Spirit produces is marked by this very Endurance. You see this as an emphasis throughout that epistle to the Hebrews because there were people uh, dropping out, jumping back into Old Testament Judaism and leaving the church behind. And so Hebrews 3 verse 6, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. 
So we're true Christians if we don't give up the rejoicing. If it's, it's not just like the stony ground hearer where the seed takes root maybe half an inch or so and, and we sprout up with this false or temporary faith that sprouts up and seems so promising and rejoices to hear the Word and to, to profess faith in the Word. But when the sun comes out and, and the, the affliction because of the Word is brought to bear in that person's life, they're scorched and they shrivel and they don't continue and endure and persevere to the end. That's why Hebrews 3.14 says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And it goes on to quote Psalm 95 about those in the wilderness who went the whole way from Egypt to the promised land. They got on the doorstep of Canaan in Kadesh Barnea and they gave up and said, we're going back to Egypt. And they died in the wilderness. Uh, This is why the Scriptures speak of the perseverance of the saints. Some people think that that phrase is just something that some Dutch theologians came up with or John Calvin invented that phrase. But in fact, this is a biblical phrase. Revelation 13 Verse 10, here is the patience, could be better translated here, the marginal note, perseverance. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Revelation 14, verse 12, here is the patience, again, perseverance of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So, Uh, The Bible teaches the perseverance of the saints. If you deny that doctrine, you don't just have to answer to John Calvin, you have to answer to the Apostle John and to the Holy Spirit who inspired the book of Revelation because that phrase is used in multiple instances. Every true saint will, by the grace of God, persevere to the end. But in addition to that, this endurance is necessary not just for the existence of the Christian life, but for its well-being for us to be fruitful, for us to to be able to truly receive a commendation from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant, for us to labor fruitfully in this world, we need endurance. Galatians 6.9, Paul urges the believers there, don't grow weary in doing good. Persevere. And if you persevere, you will reap the reward and you'll see God's blessing. He'll use your efforts. He'll use your good works to glorify Himself. And so if you're going to be fruitful, then you need this endurance. This endurance in the Christian life, this fruitfulness, is described for us in Psalm 92. You can see a beautiful picture of perseverance of the saints in faithfulness and in fruitfulness. Psalm 92, verses 13 through 15, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. That's perseverance. That word still. They shall continue on an ongoing basis to bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in Him. 
My friends, the early church referred to Christianity as the way. The way. It's a path. It's a pilgrimage. It's a way. And you need to continue on the way. It's not enough to say, well, I believed the truth way back when at a revival meeting or something. But the fact of the matter is, is it the case that you are still on the way? Are you still trusting in Christ and traveling on the way? If you're a Christian, if you're a true and living member of the church, then you're on the way. That's why they refer to the church as the way. Because you need to follow that way and you need to endure on that way. Because there's a way that seems right to a man and the end thereof is death. So you need to be on the way, the truth and the life, even Christ Himself. Thirdly, so far we've seen the essential nature of endurance. We've seen the unavoidable necessity of endurance. Thirdly, it's high commendation. It's high commendation. In our Lord's letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, on multiple occasions to multiple churches, He emphasizes this idea of endurance. And He commends the churches that had endurance. Even churches that lacked endurance in certain areas, where they had endurance in other areas, He commended them. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, speaking to the church in Ephesus, which had lost its first love and had to return to the first works, so they lacked endurance in that area. But the Lord commends their endurance in other areas. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience. That's our word. Patience, perseverance, endurance. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. He goes on in his other letters to mention this on multiple occasions. We'll get to that perhaps later. But I want to emphasize how Jesus commends patience. He says, I see your patience I commend your patience. Actually, verse 19 of the same chapter as he speaks to Thyatira, another church with all kinds of problems. He says, I know your works. Love, service, faith, and your patience. That's our word. Your endurance. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. He goes on to say, you've got this false prophetess who's you know, proclaiming repentance and uh, fornication and all of these horrible things happening in Thyatira. Uh, my Bible says at the top of the paragraph, the corrupt church. Even in the corrupt church, Jesus notices endurance. He says, I know your endurance and that your works, the last are more than the first. In other words, you're persevering, you're increasing, you're growing. You're not just hanging on. You're quickening the pace as you run that race of faith in that particular area. It's amazing how Jesus can find things to commend in churches that have many things to condemn. It's a wonderful example for us. It's high commendation. Paul commends it, as we said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Peter commends it in 2 Peter 1, verses 3-11. through 11, uh, A famous passage where he speaks to us of this beautiful privilege of the Christian life. He says, verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 1, 
as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers, listen to this, partakers of the divine nature. He's not saying that we become gods like the Mormons teach, but he's saying that God has certain attributes that are reflected in the image of God that He's placed in mankind and that He's renewing by His grace through the sanctification of believers. And so we, as it were, reflect the glory of God's wisdom, His holiness, His justice, His goodness, His truth and faithfulness. We reflect that. We're partakers, as it were, of those divine attributes in a certain way through sanctification. And we become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He goes on to describe what it looks like to partake in the divine nature through Christian sanctification. He says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Notice right there in the middle is our word. Perseverance. And he says add to that endurance or perseverance godliness. So this endurance, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, and according to the Apostle Peter in this verse, is essential to producing godliness. We need endurance to manifest true godliness. That's how Peter commends this grace of perseverance or endurance. And then he says, for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What's Peter saying? He's saying if you want to have true assurance and robust assurance of salvation, then there needs to be endurance. If you've left and, and exited out of the race and you've quit and, and you've left your Christian faith behind, or you've left certain key duties in the Christian life and you've just ignored them, and you're refusing to endure, you're giving up, that's a bad sign. That's not the kind of sign that indicates a, a, a clear assurance or a, a valid assurance of salvation and election. To make your calling and election sure, you need to see the fruit of endurance in your life. He who endures to the end will be saved. So if you're not enduring, that would indicate that you don't have the true faith or repentance that the Lord gives. Or that you're backsliding and who knows where you're at, so you better get back on the path. And you better start believing and repenting and enduring. Otherwise, there's no indication of your election. And I mentioned this in um, Paul's writings. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 1, 2 through 4, Paul says he commends their endurance. Then he says, brethren, that we, we see in this your election from God. Paul says, I can see evidence of your election by the fact 
that you're persevering in the Christian faith and in the Christian life. And Peter says, as you're examining yourself, look for this. And if you're seeking to be fruitful, and if you're seeking to have the kind of Christian life where you're not just among those that are scarcely saved, like Lot, but you're among those who have this entrance abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. An abundant life, an abundant fruitfulness, an abundant entrance. Not just backing your way in. Then you need this endurance. High commendation from Christ and the apostles. Fourthly, it's notable exploits. It's notable exploits. Virtually everyone who ever did anything of any notable value in the Old Testament or the New manifested, so far as we can tell, this endurance. And you see the great example of a lack of endurance. We've already alluded to it uh, throughout the book of Hebrews. That great negative example of the Israelites who came right to the cusp of the land of Canaan. Right to Kadesh Barnea where they would enter in And they sent the twelve spies into the land. And the spies examined the land. They said it's a good land. It's a prosperous land. But they were intimidated by the the large stature of the people of the land. And by the walled cities of the cities of the land. And the the kingdoms of the land. And so they were afraid. And they told the ten out of the twelve spies came back and told the children of Israel that we need to give up. We need to head back to Egypt. We're going to get slaughtered. We're going to get massacred. This is going to be ugly. And the only two spies that stood up, Joshua and Caleb, they stood up strong. And they said, we need to go into the land. This is a good land. And these people are bred for our eating. We can, we can easily defeat them by the power of God. Yes, it's intimidating, but God will give us the victory. And so they proclaimed their commitment to endurance. But what happened? Virtually everybody else, aside from the Levites, all the other tribes, rejected that call to perseverance. And God chastened them with 40 years of wandering in the wilderness until the next generation was raised up. But with that next generation, 40 years later, probably about 38 years exactly from Kadesh Barnea, 38 years, 40 years later, Joshua and Caleb had persevered through the 40 years in the wilderness. Now they come with the new generation into the promised land. And you can read about it in Joshua chapter 14, 7 and following, that Caleb went in and conquered the land of the giants. By the power of God, he was confident. He said, God's given me this strength. 40 years later, I'm in my 80s and I'm just as strong in the power of God as I was 40 years ago. And he went in and conquered the land. That, my friends, is a great exploit. And of course, we know Joshua as well. Even living till 110 years old, led the children of Israel to conquer the promised land. And at the end of his life, we often quote this verse or it's it's somewhere stenciled on our walls or something you know he, he says at the end of his life as for me and my house we will serve the Lord but understand that was at the end of his life okay he, he's not um, you know a, a 28 year old parent with young children now 
we should still profess that as young parents, okay? But he's 110, so he's got children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. He, he's 110. He's over 100. We don't know how close that was to his death, but, but it was pretty far along, over 100 years old. And he's saying, even at over 100 years old, I'm not content to, to rest on my laurels. I'm not content. I will continue to strive and persevere and endure. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He didn't run out of gas. He didn't run out of endurance. Even to gray-headed days that the Bible says, you know, the days of pleasure have ceased, he was persevering in his faith and in his obedience. James highlights the example of Job. James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience, that is endurance. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance, that's endurance, of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now that verse is going to factor in later when we start to think of our experience and how it produces hope and we look at Job's experience. But the point is, Job and the prophets and the saints of the Old Testament did what they did because of endurance. They endured. And that's really the legacy of that great cloud of witnesses from Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 32. The Apostle here says of those Old Testament saints, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. It's a lot of things to endure. A lot of tribulations there. Quenched the violence of fire escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight those foreign armies, women received their dead, raised to life again, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Talk about perseverance. They're tortured and they're offered deliverance. Just renounce your faith. Just participate in this unbiblical act of worship. But they didn't. They didn't accept deliverance. They were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Right, Mockings being a sort of emotional scourging. Being thrashed with the tongues of our enemies. And literal scourgings with the whip. Yes, he says, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. So they didn't even have the Gospels. They didn't even have the knowledge that Christ had come and finished the work of redemption 
and risen from the dead and ascended into heaven and established His church. They were looking ahead to these things by faith. They didn't possess them in the sense that we do, and yet they endured to the end. And of course, we can't speak of notable exploits without making reference to the notable exploits and the endurance of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in John 13, as He's bearing the weight of a world of sin and misery on His back, we're told that He loved His own and He loved them to the end. And Paul says He gave up that love that He had for them caused Him to persevere, despising the shame, enduring the cross. He loved them and He gave Himself for them. He finished the job. And even when He was hanging on the cross, we have the the record of the Gospel writers where they say that His enemies were mocking Him and shouting out to Him. And no doubt Satan was tempting them by way of these kinds of things. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. If you are the Messiah, the Chosen of God, come down from the cross. Give up. Throw in the towel. But Jesus endured the cross. And He endured to the end. And He said, it is finished. Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. Jesus endured to the end. And He purchased salvation for everyone who trusts in Him through that endurance. That's the most notable exploit of all. Fifthly, as we look at endurance, it's infallible gauge. It's infallible gauge. In other words, this endurance is an infallible gauge of our spiritual condition and of our spiritual health. Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones. Quote, There is no more important and no more subtle test of our profession of the Christian faith than the way we react to the trials and the troubles and the tribulations of life in this world. There is no test which is more delicate, more sensitive than this particular test. I have sometimes ventured to describe it as the acid test of a man's profession of the Christian faith. End quote. Martin Lloyd-Jones on this verse. Romans 5, verse 3. I think it's fair to say, based upon the parable of the sower and the stony ground, that... uh, if we don't respond to afflictions with God-given perseverance through them, if we wither and shrivel and are scorched away, then that is a testimony that we do not have a true saving relationship with Jesus Christ and that we're not connected the, the, the branches to the vine. But it's also a gauge of our spiritual health and sanctification. Proverbs 24, verse 10. This is a verse that, uh, I don't know if I'll ever stencil verses on my wall, but this is one to stencil. Uh, I already have a verse on my license plate, so that one's taken, but this is a great one. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. How convicting is that? If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. We tend to make excuses as to why we do what we do, why we're giving up, why we're 
taking a step back, why we refuse to continue on, and we say it's the adversity. It's the adversity that's caused me to give up in my effort to show self-control with my spouse. It's, it's adversity that's caused me to just run back to that secret sin. Uh, it's adversity that's caused me to stop enduring and persevering in my daily Bible reading and prayer. It's adversity that's kept me from doing the things I know God wants me to do and from abstaining from the things I know He doesn't want me to do. It's adversity, but this is telling us that if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. Now, of course, it is the case that our strength is small, but that I don't believe is the point of Proverbs 24.10 in application to a born-again believer in Jesus Christ who has the Holy Spirit. Because Paul tells us that having been justified through faith in Christ, the fact is we have access to this grace in which or by which we stand. Ephesians chapter 6 says in, in a similar way that we can stand in the evil day. We can stand. We can endure. We can persevere. Paul says we don't faint because our uh, temporary light afflictions are nothing compared to the weight of glory. We don't need to faint. Uh, the psalmist says, I would have fainted had I not believed in the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Are we believing and by faith making use of that access to the grace that enables us not to faint but to stand. And there's no excuse for us as Christians to have a lack of strength. If our strength is small, but our God is big, and our God has given us access to His grace by which we stand, then really, this is just an exhortation to return to the Lord. This is not saying pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Perhaps one of the top five most overused uh, statements by preachers. But it's not saying to do it in your own strength. It's not saying that you need to go out there and gain strength. But what it's saying is you need to go to the Lord for that strength. And as we're going to see in a moment, the Lord's answer to your prayer is that He's going to probably bring into your life one of the leading causes, providentially speaking, one of the leading causes of increased endurance. He's going to bring into your life. If your strength is small and you're fainting in the day of adversity, you seek Him. You come to Him. You, you put your trust in His favorable disposition that He hears you in the day of trouble and He will deliver you. But guess what? How's He going to strengthen those muscles moving forward? How's He going to enable you to be ready to not faint moving forward? He's going to wisely, carefully, without overwhelming you, bring things into your life to put more uh, resistance on the barbell so that your muscles can be strengthened as you, as you work against, as you push against, as you deal with the, those afflictions, hard press, the resistance coming down on the barbell, the Lord uses it to strengthen your spiritual muscles so that more and more in the Christian life you have endurance. And this is uh, something that brings to mind another, uh, another uh, story from the 2006 Cub McCoy conference where Ted Donnelly spoke from the book of Jeremiah on a prophet for our times. 
a prophet for the nations, something like that. And uh, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 12, said something that Pastor Donnelly highlighted that spoke to me at, at that particular point in my life. A situation in my local church that I was dealing with, a difficult situation that the Lord used ultimately in my life to strengthen me, but it was very difficult. But Jeremiah 12, verse 1. Uh, Jeremiah pleads with the Lord, even reverently complaining about the wicked taking root and prospering and his opponents attacking him and the Lord just seems to keep blessing them and they seem to keep being the, the, the thorn in Jeremiah's side again and again. And Jeremiah goes on, verses 2 and 3, and he's talking about how the Lord needs to bring judgment and why isn't the Lord coming to, to deal with these people that are engaged in these harmful things and so on and so forth. Verse 5, though, was, was the key in, in uh, Reverend Donnelly's sermon. If I find it, I'll send it to the email list. Uh, but verse 5, If you have run with the footmen, and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with the horses? If you have run with the footmen, and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? In other words, Jeremiah, what you're dealing with is just affliction 101 to prepare you for greater and greater affliction when the entire nation of Judah is overrun and you're thrown in a deep dark pit and imprisoned as an enemy of the state, and people are trying to physically kill you, and eventually Babylon invades, and the temple is destroyed. Jeremiah, if, if you can't run with the footmen, people are saying some things about you, and you can't handle that. You've been wearied with that conflict at a basic level. How are you going to contend with the horses and the chariots? If you can't, in the land of peace, deal with some conflict, deal with some difficulty, what's going to happen when the real problems come. Because God uses these afflictions to prepare us for greater afflictions. And I can say there's no question, there's no question that the afflictions that I was dealing with at that time in a church situation that was very difficult, unquestionably, uh, I wouldn't go back and change it if I could because it prepared me for the next thing that, that God had for me. Now, endurance looks different. I'm not, suggesting, uh, I'm not suggesting that endurance means you're in that church situation, you can never leave. That doesn't mean you're not enduring. There's wisdom in all these situations. But the point is uh, that you endure and you trust God and you know that He's working it to prepare you for the next step and the next step. And this is an infallible gauge of our spiritual maturity. And what's sad is, sixthly, it's prevailing absence. We could say in almost every aspect of life in our culture and in the church today in our nation, uh, we could say on so many levels what Paul said to the Galatians, you ran well, who hindered you? It started off so well. Where's the endurance? Where's the perseverance? Whether it's... Uh, at a personal level, people receiving the word with joy, false converts, 
by the millions throughout this nation that have been revealed even in recent decades as the culture takes a nosedive. You see many people that were in the church at one point or another, but their love for Christ grows cold and they abandon the faith and they abandon the the commandments of God and they've professed great things as members, professed great things as members. And yet, uh, when it comes time to fulfill those vows, they're nowhere to be seen. Uh, We see it in marriage. We have these great festivities. People take vows and they're, they're dressed up and everybody's excited and there's a, a wedding feast and, and a reception. But when it comes to persevering and enduring in faithfulness to your marriage vows, loving your spouse, serving your spouse, leading your spouse, submitting to your spouse, husbands, wives, all of these things, when it comes time to endure and persevere, How many Christian marriages end in divorce for that reason? How many men are caught in adultery? How many women refuse to submit to their husband and just turn a blind eye and talk to the hand? Um, How much lack of uh, endurance we see in the church today and in the culture and in the ministry? Elders, pastors taking vows and then writing books totally against the vows that they took and the subordinate standards of the church. We see a huge attrition rate and and understand when we deal with pastors and empty pulpits and and pastors leaving and, and the church being filled with these empty pulpits, understand there's two sides to every story. And so you could say, well, pastors are leaving the ministry. You could also say, where's that love and care that church had when they first called the man? Uh, In many cases, churches have their love grow cold for their minister, or ministers, their love grows cold for the ministry. Some combination, one or the other. The point is, it is a huge problem in every aspect of our culture. We need endurance. And so finally, it's leading cause. Providentially speaking, endurance is brought about ordinarily by God through some measure of of affliction or tribulation. This is how He does it. We're not denying that the Spirit produces endurance or that endurance involves an act of faith or that there are so many other verses we could look at uh, that speak to us of it. But fundamentally, from the standpoint of the, the types of circumstances that God normally uses to produce endurance and perseverance in your life, it is affliction. Jesus in Hebrews 5.8 learned obedience through suffering. And He was sinless. But He learned obedience through suffering. The leading cause in that sense providentially of endurance is tribulation, suffering, unpleasant experiences. Things that Hebrews 12 says are unpleasant for the moment, but they yield a harvest of the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are exercised by them. And so we need to view these tribulations, view this adversity, view this pressure and stress and conflict and hardship in your life through biblical lenses. God is giving you perseverance if you will be exercised under that trial, if you will trust God under that trial, if you will take access to the grace by which you can stand, it will greatly increase 
your Christ-likeness, your power, your influence, your usefulness in the kingdom of God down the road. Because, my friends, the kingdom of God advances through great affliction. And God will send you to boot camp. If He's planning to send you into the conflict as a soldier of Christ, He'll send you to boot camp and you'll have to deal with many kinds of unpleasant things, but you need to get through it. Don't drop out of boot camp. James says famously, my brethren, James 1 verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, there's our word, patience, endurance. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I'm bringing this to a close, but Understand, in the book of James, the word perfect does not mean sinless, it means mature. It means of robust spiritual maturity. That's why in James 3 verse 1, verse 1 and 2, uh, it's a mistake to say, well, we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. Oh, we're, we're all sinners. What he's saying is there are aspects of maturity that need to come to fruition. And he's saying afflictions and trials serve to produce that endurance that has its perfect work or its sanctifying effect to make us more and more complete in our sanctification so that we're lacking nothing. That's why God sends these afflictions. Do you want to contend with the horses? Then you need to start running with the footmen. Uh, don't run and hide. Embrace your, your affliction as painful as it may be. Embrace it as God's testing ground, proving ground, God's boot camp to prepare you for even greater afflictions and greater exploits yet to come. My friends, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Run the race that is set before you with endurance that by God's grace you may endure to the end. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we ask that you would take your word, that you would plant it deeply in our hearts, and that it would be, as it were, a frontlet before our eyes and a lens through which we can view all of our experiences that we might rejoice even in that value and benefit of afflictions that in themselves are by no means pleasant or enjoyable. And yet, as our Lord, we trust that You will teach us obedience through suffering. We pray in His name. Amen.